Okay, before we get started today, I'd like to make a quick announcement. Over the last several years, I have spent a lot of time working with investors just like you. Investors who have started their business, got it off the ground, got a little bit of momentum, but just don't know how to scale up from there. They don't know how to take a small business doing a deal here and there and really systemize it and scale it up in a profitable way. I have been helping people for so many years do exactly that. I did it in my own business first, and then I helped other people replicate that success in their business. And my announcement to you is that I am ready to help you do the exact same thing right now. I have developed a program that's called the Seven Figure Investor Blueprint. And it's called that because I wanna take you from wherever you are in your business right now and help you ramp it up into a seven-figure profit business. You can do this. I know you've told yourself that you wanna do it. And for whatever reason, it's just not working out. But I wanna teach you things like how to market, to find the best deals, how to analyze those deals, how to negotiate with sellers and wholesalers to get the best possible deals how to get those deals funded, whether it's private funding, hard money lending, whatever. I wanna help you understand the best way for you to fund those deals, and then how to structure those deals for maximum profit. And then finally, how to build a team around you. You don't have to do everything in your business. And in fact, you shouldn't be doing everything. I don't do everything in my business and it runs really, really well. In fact, it runs better when I'm not trying to do everything. And I wanna teach you exactly how to do that. All you have to do, if this sounds interesting to you, if this sounds like something that you must do in 2022 to reach your goals, go to sevenfigureinvestor.com. That's the word seven, sevenfigureinvestor.com. Sign up. I want to help you this year achieve all of your business goals, but you have to go and sign up first. It's seven, the word seven, figureinvestor.com. I cannot wait to see you inside the program. We are going to do great things this year. you're making above and beyond what the seller's loan payment is, which is normally going to be in the low, you know, in the three to four or 5% range. You're listening to the Just Start Real Estate Podcast. If you're serious about your real estate investing business and need real answers, you are in the right place. And now, your host, Mike Simmons. All right, thank you for joining me on the show today. I appreciate it. Guys, I get questions from you all the time through DMs and emails and Facebook messages, all these different ways that people reach out to me. And lately, I've been getting a lot of questions about seller financing, creative financing, subject to all these different ways of purchasing houses and taking control of, of properties without cashing the person out. And I have brought in someone who can address these questions uh, better than I can. His name is Brian O'Neill, and he is a longtime salesperson. He was in corporate for many, many years in the sales capacity and um, and kind of has a similar story to me. He knew he wanted to do real estate. He even come up, came up with a name for his company. And then seven years went by and he hadn't done anything yet. And his family, his, his son sort of pulled him out of that and, and he moved forward 
Ford, and he started his real estate investing company called BKW Property Solutions, and uh, and he's just killing it with seller financing, with subject to, and uh, doing lease options with buyers, and he's just got a great system and a great business that he has built in a relatively short period of time. Uh, he does uh, live in Chicago. He has a son. He has a wife, and they're really big on giving back, and he's just a good guy with a good heart and a good business, and he's very smart. And I think he's someone you should listen to, especially when it comes to seller finance, subject to. Those are great, great tools to have in your tool belt, and Brian addresses those and gets into a lot of detail. So this was a fun episode. I think it's going to be very impactful for people. Like I said, I've been getting these questions a lot about seller financing. So I've addressed them here, brought in someone that I think can answer them in a really great way. So hopefully you guys enjoy this. I give you Brian O'Neill. All right, Brian, thank you for being on Just Start Real Estate. I appreciate you doing this. I appreciate your time. Thanks, Mike. Uh, pleasure to be on. Really looking forward to speaking with you today. Yeah, same. Um, I'm excited to... We we talked a little off mic here about some similarities in our backgrounds and some of our whys and things like that. So I, I think it's be fun to dig into that. And also, I know that you are big into uh, creative financing, seller financing, that kind of stuff. And I really want to dig into that world too. But for the folks who don't know a lot about you and haven't done the, some of the research that I've done, uh, give them some idea of who you are and your background. And let's dive and in, dig into some... Some of those things that happened even before you got into real estate that propelled you forward. Yeah, absolutely, Mike. So you know, I've been—I was like a lot of folks, right? Most of us were—I was programmed or whatever you want to call it. I was conditioned <laughs> early on in life to go to school, get a good job, save your money, you know, buy a house, and hopefully, hope and pray, you know, you'll retire uh, at 65. I mean, that was like my mentality. That was my path. And, and I believe that was, that was true. And, you know, right out of college, I got the job, you know, I was in sales in some variety of sales for about 25 years. Um, so I had been talking to business owners, uh, talking to, you know, uh, people who were 10 times, we had net worth 10 times more than me, which ultimately helped me in my real estate career because I've been talking to people. I learned how to have conversations with people. But, you know, as I got as I got older and as I got into I worked for the same company for 17 years, my income started to peak. Like there's only so much money you can make in sales unless you start trading time for dollars mm -hmm. and moving up the corporate ladder, which made me kind of nervous because I I wasn't I didn't really want to make that commitment. So it was around that time, and I had a heavy travel job too. I was traveling 100,000 miles a year. I have a, I had a young son at the time. I still do. He's older now, but I was missing him grow up. You know, I'd come back, and he's talking different. Three days later, he's talking different. He's got new words. He looks bigger. And I said, "Man, this is this is starting to chip away at me." Yeah. And then as he got older, Mike, he started to tell me that he didn't like when I was going. Like, Dad, I don't like when you when you leave. I'm scared. I don't like being at the house alone with mom. So that already coupled with the fact that I knew there was something bigger for me. Yeah. And that I always wanted to be in real estate was ultimate. That's my why. Ultimately, what propelled me to stop getting, stop being scared, stop with the analysis paralysis, because I did that for years and finally take some action. And, and that's what I ultimately did. And, and that's how I found creative financing. Okay. Can I ask you what industry were you in for those years? Was it the same company? I mean, I don't care who the company was necessarily, but I'm just, what industry were you in? 
Yeah, it, I worked in the elevator. I, I was an elevator salesman, so okay. I mean, nothing to do with real estate. So yeah. we we, uh, but I talked. I, I was talking to people on a daily basis and businesses. So again, yeah. it, it, that was my that was my that was my my corporate path. Yeah, that's awesome. You know, the first salesperson I hired in my in my company was a pharmaceutical salesman. He had he knew nothing about real estate at all, and and I don't. Mm-hmm. Even, I I think that sometimes that's actually better. To be honest, when I look to hire in in my business now. Now, for someone in a sales capacity, I put almost no value on them knowing anything about real estate because sales is sales. If you're a great salesperson, you can thrive in any industry. I really believe that. Uh, but sometimes people get caught up in the real estate part and they end up hiring someone who has a lot of real estate background, maybe not the best salesperson in the world. So I agree with you. I think sales is so important. And the fact that you were talking to folks and, and doing that, I'm sure, helped you tremendously early on. Um so how many years would you say that you were in that paralysis analysis phase? I know for me, I've talked about a billion times. I was in it for a five years, like five solid years. How long do you think you, how long do you estimate you were in that phase? It, it was seven because okay. I saved the note in my iPhone where I had named my business and then ultimately it became the name of my business when I got started. So it, it was around that time, you know, I started dabbling and, you know, different different books and different niches. And then I really was getting heavy into multifamily. And I did that for a couple couple of years, two and a half years. And then ultimately I found this creative financing niche and then I just went straight forward because that, that's what I was looking for. Okay. So a couple of quick questions. Number one, I know you're a real estate investor. Are you also an agent? I am not. Okay. Awesome. We're, we're even more alike. We've just found more common ground. I am not an agent either. Um, the other question is, so I know that you, you do a lot of the seller financing, but what are you, what is the end game or what is the model? What, what are you actually doing with these houses? Yeah, there's a couple different there's a couple different things with the with the end game. Um, but when we're talking about when we're talking about creative financing or seller financing, there's 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 two phrases that I like to use. Number one, you can have control of properties without ownership. You can have multiple exit strategies there, or you can flat out own the property. You can take the deed right on seller financing. Yeah. My my preferred exit strategy because it pays me the most money is to find buyers. I work with buyers who are cannot qualify for a bank loan right now. Okay. Self-employed people, high income earners that don't look good on paper, people who have been through a significant life event like a divorce or a medical situation that's just set them back for a short period of time. Mm-hmm. We help them get loans. We put them in their property. Um, you could use other exit strategies. A lot of folks like to do Airbnb, short-term rentals, long-term rentals, um, you know, they'll, they'll take the house under contract and they'll, they'll flip it. But I mean, I'm me, I'm long-term thinking here. Okay. So let me step through this for people just so there's absolutely no confusion. Mm-hmm. You find, well, let me ask you this, and this could probably get into a longer discussion, but I, I kind of want to keep this part maybe a little brief. I'm just curious, how do you find properties? Sure. Primarily, there's a bunch of ways, but primarily I am, we're talking to sellers who are actively trying to sell their house. So expired listings okay, for sale by owners, for rent by owners, they typically have more pain because Mm -hmm. they're trying to sell and they couldn't. Gotcha. So those are the top three. There's there's more, but those are the, the, the most active ones. Okay. Fantastic. So you you find someone, let's just say it's an expired listing, you talk to them, you get a hold of them. How do you get a hold of those guys, by the way? Are you have a realtor you're working with? 
No, we, so we, we, you know, that is all public information. You know, we, we have a lead service. It's a very inexpensive lead service that tells us when these homes come off the market Okay, and I have, we start calling them. Okay. You know, yeah. So you call them, uh, you, you agree on a price. Let's do a couple things. I'd like to step through how that conversation looks. And then ultimately, I want to I want to step through the process so people understand because you said um, you're finding folks that can't get a, a buyer that can't get approved traditionally right now. And so, well, I'll ask a question now. Let's just from a ten thousand foot view: Are you getting these houses uh, seller financed, and then you're reselling them to someone on land contract? Is that is that the the way you're doing it? And then how does that how are you protected in that transaction? You know, the answer to your question is is yes. That's that's part of it. Okay. That isn't always what happens initially because before I sell to a buyer on either we call a contract for deed here in Illinois, okay. but your land tract is land contract is correct. I like them to prove themselves because on a lease option. So I'll do maybe mm-hmm. a lease option for a couple of years, and if they get the certain milestones, then we can look at a contract for deed on a property that I own have the title to. Okay, so before you sell it to them, uh, contract for deed, you're actually purchasing, you're cashing out the seller. No, no. So just to give you a quick example, if I have the title to a seller, let's say I bought, uh, let's say I bought a house from a seller for exactly what they owe, because that's what the house is worth, okay. right? They're in a okay. bit of pain. They can't sell it. They might have to write a check at the closing table if they did. It's two hundred grand. I buy your house for two hundred grand. I basically take over your loan payments. Yeah, if the loan stays in place. I take over your payments. The house gets deeded to me. Mm-hmm. I own it. Yep. The loan stays in place for two years or two thousand, whenever I decide to pay it off. Okay. Now I can go sell or finance somebody because I own the house, and I can do a contract for deed. But I typically like the buyer to prove themselves. You know whether it's getting their down payment up to twenty percent and no late payments for one year, and then we can we can move to that. But initially, it would be a lease option so for the buyer. When you have it, you're taking over payments for the seller for a couple of years while the buyer proves themselves. Once the buyer proves themselves, and you do a contract for deed, are they essentially taking over the original loan that you took over? Is that how it works? They are not. I'm basically wrapping it around. It's oh. a it's a it's a it's a wrap mortgage. So you have the initial, and this is where it gets a little complicated. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a little bit more advanced, but the original loan stays in place. Mm-hmm. So we never cash the seller out until the end buyer that I place in the home gets their loan, and that could be five years, ten years, fifteen years. It, it, it's whatever the agreement is. Obviously, the longer you go, the better yeah. for you as the investor. Um, but the, the, the loan stays in place and they're paying me. So I'm typically in those scenarios because I'm charging higher interest, you're making above and beyond what the seller's loan payment is, which is normally going to be in the low, you know, in the three to four or 5% range. Yeah. And then hope at some point, well, you sounded like you don't want them necessarily to cash you out, but at some point they're going to get a loan. And my guess is, and I could be wrong about this, but you're selling it to them on contract for deed for more than what you pay the seller. 100%. Yeah. So yeah. 200, if I buy it for 200, I might sell it for 220. Yeah, I got you. Okay, so when mm-hmm. they pay you out, there's a payday there and then there's these these this arbitrage in between basically. Correct, uh, except in that scenario I own the house. Yes. So I I am the bank. Correct. Got it. Yes, but your loan payment, the original loan payment 
is less than what the buyer is paying you. And so you you get the difference. If the original loan payment's $1,000, you're charging $1,500, you're making $500 in between. Totally. Yep. Okay. You got it right. And the buyer during that, uh, um, during that lease option period, they're paying all the utilities and they're doing all that. Is that correct? They're paying the utilities. They're responsible for repairs and maintenance. I mean, you are, if you oh, do okay. this correctly, you're not a landlord. Okay. So in that time period, that two-year time period, they're still doing the maintenance and repairs. You're not even doing that, even though you own the house. That is correct. They're okay. responsible for maintenance and repairs and, okay. you know, and because they're acting as if they own the house because yeah. they will eventually. Yeah. Okay. Fantastic. That's great. Okay. So I'm, I'm doing these in kind of a weird order, but I really wanted to get that ironed out for folks. Okay, going back to the conversation, you find a seller, they've, they've, their listing has expired, they're frustrated, they're dejected. You go in and talk to them. How do you frame the conversation? Do you go right for seller financing? Do you do any, like, how does that conversation go? Sure, and, and this is, that's a, that's a great question. And it is a conversation. So, and it takes a while to get there. I mean, look, I told you in the beginning, I, I was on this phone for 25 years. When I first started talking to sellers, I was petrified simply because I did not know what to say. Yeah. That's it. I just had to learn it. I had to get my reps in and now I do. And, and when I talk to, when I talk to other investors who have fear of the phone, cause it exists, it's, it, it, it's, it can be traumatizing Yeah, is I say, okay, look, if your neighbor, if your neighbor put a for sale sign in their yard, what would you do? what would you do? You'd go over and you'd talk to them. You'd have a conversation with them. You'd ask them, where are you going? What's the situation? Why are you selling? I treat a seller no different than that. Okay. I want to understand what their situation is. There's essentially like four things that I'm looking to hear when I talk to a seller before I know that there might be a candidate for seller financing, or I just move on. You know, Why are you selling? Why did you take it off the market first and foremost? Like, What happened? Tell me about that. And then- I want to know the condition of the house, you know, the, the major stuff like the roof, the mechanicals, the foundation, if there's any issues there. And then I'll, I'll position the conversation to where do, I, do they need to cash out of this house? Meaning, do they need to take the money out to do the next thing? Mm-hmm. If they do, I'm probably not their, their guy. If they don't, then then I'll insert their motivation into the question and say, hey, look, if I could solve this specific problem for you, yep. Mr. or Mrs. Seller, would you be open to doing this? Awesome. How often, they, if they don't need to be cashed out, how often do they need some amount of money, how, a chunk of money to move on to the next thing? Is that pretty common? It is pretty It is pretty common. Look, most people are going to sell the conventional way, right? Mm-hmm. They're going to hire a realtor. They're going to cash out. They might even take less money. They're going to get way more doing this, but mm-hmm. they're going to have to wait for it. They're going to move on. So if there's a scenario where they need money, I'll just simply say, well, I, I need all my money right now. Well, how much do you need? And they'll say, well, especially on a, on a seller who owns their house free and clear, which yeah. is one third of all houses in the United States have no debt on their houses. Isn't that crazy? That's a lot. That's a lot. So if a seller says that to me, I'll say, well, how much do you need? What are you going to use the money for? You know, you, I, I treat them like my 10-year-old son does, does the same thing to me. He's asking, he's always asking why. <laughs> so you just got to dive deeper yeah. and ask more questions. And if they, and that number could be, well, I only need 30 grand. Okay, well, if I put, and that could be 10%, like if I put down 10%, would you finance, would you do owner financing? Yeah. 
now you got a great deal. You're putting money down, but you still got a great deal. Yeah, that's awesome. So <clears throat> you get these folks, you get a list of these uh, folks from a list broker or some sort of a list person. How do you, how do you start that conversation? They don't know you and they don't know how you found them. And it's a little bit, some people, because I, I, I do this too, right? We talked to a lot of people. People can be defensive about how you got their information. So how do you start that off on the right foot? Yeah. And I used to do this primarily before I hired a team and they do this. Now I have uh, VAs that do this, but mm -hmm. I remember when I made those calls, like, how, how, why are you calling me? How'd you get my information? I would just, I would be forthright. I'm like, look, I'm local to the area. I buy homes. Your, I, you know, your house uh, just expired, came off the market. I was just calling to see if you were looking to sell. And that normally diffuses the situation. You just kind of have to stick with it. And that general for people who are afraid of the phone, that'll generate even more fear when people start yelling at you and oh, hanging yeah. up and they're defensive. Yeah. And I get it. I'd be defensive too, but you just have to be patient. Normally you get up past like the first 60 seconds. And then if they ask, where'd you get my information? I just say, well, you're, you're you know, you're, you're, it's all public information. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I actually, we do, we, not as much as we used to, but we used to do a ton of direct mail and- <laughs> a good majority, not a majority, but a good significant portion of the calls that we would get, would they would be asking where we got their information. That, that was the question. And I didn't want my people on the phone answering that question all day long. So I just printed it on the bottom of my card. We obtained your information from public records. It's available to the general public. And it, like our call volume dropped, but our deal flow didn't drop, which was awesome, right? Um, so, wow, that's brilliant. I love that. I'm stealing that. Thank good. you. Because I always tell people the idea is not to make the phone ring more. It's to make the phone ring with people who have houses to sell. And people calling and just wanting to say, where'd you get information? And we tell them and they hang up on us. That doesn't do us any good. So I didn't want those calls anymore. Um, so what... How what is there more than one strategy you use creatively to, to buy houses? Or is it just seller financing is pretty much your 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 bullet? That's the ideal is seller financing, but but look, my not every seller is going to deed their house to me. They're just not cool with that. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So in that scenario, we would do either a lease option, or okay. we could do an assignment of a lease option. Meaning that, so in, in a in a in a in a typical lease option, I'm in the middle essentially. Okay. So I'm I'm agreeing with the seller on terms. You know, let's say say five years. I'll pay them their equity. I'll pay their mortgage for five years. And then I have the right to put a buyer in the house. And then once the buyer cashes out, the entire transaction happens. Okay. I can also, and that's for sellers who just want to move on, have no interest in being uh, dealing with people in their house, right? That's yeah. me. I guarantee it. For investors or for landlords, especially tired landlords, there's tons of them in this country, especially with COVID, mm -hmm. people not paying their rent. I always ask the question, say, look, if you're going to rent the house, how would it look for you if at the end of a two-year period, they bought the house from you? Oh, and by the way, they covered all maintenance and repairs. Oh, and they're giving you a down payment that you get to put in your pocket. Most investors are open to that, but don't understand that that exists. Yeah. So I can do my thing and assign the buyer back to the seller. Yeah, that's awesome. That's so cool. So we talked in the beginning about taking over payments, which is really subject to uh, what percentage of your deals are subject to versus like a true seller finance where they have they have a free and clear. Like how, how many do you get of each approximately? 
Yeah. And subject to is, is the ultimate because there's no end date, right? Yeah. Whereas owner financing, typically, typically those sellers that are free and clear want, want to cash out. So subject to is about 20% of what I do. They're just a little bit more okay. difficult and a specific group of people because they need to be in pain. Yeah. Gotcha. Like serious pain. Yeah. Does it happen very often that you put a buyer in place and they just can't cash a person out who is expecting to be cashed out? And what do you do in those situations? Yeah, it's a great question. It's like one out of 10, yeah. you know, so it's, it's a, it, it life happens. Yeah. Um, people d- d- think different, you know, they want to move or they get divorced, especially couples that move in. Right. So we do this, we want to help them. So we want to help them get a loan. If, if there's a, if there's a life event or they have to move, you know, the, 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 the deposit is non-refundable. If they just need more time, we can look at giving them more time if we have it with the seller. Mm-hmm. Um, but ultimately we want to make sure that that doesn't happen because we want to get cashed out. That's where we really yeah. get paid. Yep. Yeah. Okay. I, I want to go back for just one second. When you reach out to these folks that have expired listings or whatever, what's the mode of communication? Cold calling, direct mail, something else? What, what are you doing to get a hold of these folks initially? The expireds are, are cold calling, right? Okay. And you just, you got to be careful with that, right? And then we'll normally, we'll text as well. Uh, if we can't get them on the phone, um, you know, before the regulations went down, I used, we still had a rainless voicemail. We don't do that anymore. Okay. Um, we do mailings, you know, we'll do mailings to, to targeted lists, but yeah. expireds, it's really just, just calling. You got to hit them at the right time because everybody's calling yeah. realtors. Yep. That makes sense. So, all right, I'm jumping around. I really am, am mad at my my interview style today, but I'm I'm thinking of things and I want I want to jump around a little bit. So, when we're talking to the buyers, something you said a couple times now has intrigued me as a landlord, and it's a little different than what you're doing, but similar. How in the world are you getting them to pay all of the repairs? What's that conversation look like? I assume it's like, hey, you're going to own this thing. I get that, but do you ever get pushback on that? And they say, you own the house. Like, what if the roof goes bad? Like you own the house. Like it's not my house. hundred percent. So there's a couple of things that I do. And I have buyers that I've explained this to I'm blue in the face that still <laughs> want me to take care of the house. And that's okay. That's all right. You, again, you're, you're mainly dealing with folks who have gone from renting to buying. Like mm. they didn't know that, that they even had an opportunity to buy a house and they use a lease to own or a rent to own program to get there. Yeah. So we are over the top clear on it from day one. Like when they first come to us, we tell them this is not a straight rental. You know, I have videos on my website that discusses this. When they sign the letter of intent, it's clear as day. I say it to them. When they sign in front of my attorney, it's clear as day we say it to them. And then typically on most properties, I will uh, provide a home warranty for the buyer for for a period of one year. So if something major does go wrong, they just have to pay the $75, $100 fee and, right. and, and it's covered. Okay. That's fair. That's cool. Um, mm-hmm. So is is that now, so for you, it's this is the model and you, you, you said it earlier, you kind of hope it's fine if they don't cash you out anytime really soon. You, these things can go on for a while. What does your portfolio look like now? What is the plan? Where are you going? How big do you want to get? Yeah. So the my plan 
my plan is to have as many houses on long term, and it's not just houses. I, you can do this with multis, like small multis work great too for families. Okay. So uh, I, there's there's no limit to to creative financing as long as the seller's open to it. You can do it on anything, boats, yeah. cars, whatever. Sure. Um, I I want to have as many long term financing contract for deeds as possible so that I can kind of step away from the debt, the day to day and just have the cash flow coming in and not ever have to worry about cashing out. Yeah. For me, that number is a hundred. Okay. Um, I'm not quite there yet. I have a long-term plan within five years to get there um, at the current, at the current time. And, and, and these, these, these take time because again, not every seller is a candidate. So yeah. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give your listeners just, just an example of what the power of creative financing can do um, if you do this the right way. If you contract with a seller who's free and clear, owner financing, and you can establish principal-only payments on a $200,000 house, $900 principal-only payments for a period of 48 months, you have a six-figure deal over 48 months. So how many of those do you need? For me, it's 10 to 15 a year. Yeah. And then again, compounding on that and keeping them uh, to get to the 100. So that's really the goal is to be more long-term financing and then get into some other get into some other asset classes like the multis and, and gotcha. such. And now I know how to do it. Now I know how to go to a mom and pop who owns a 20-unit building and is willing to sell on, on seller financing. They'll finance me. Yeah. I love that. You mentioned that you have VAs doing some of these calls for you, talking to homeowners. Why VAs as opposed to someone in your local market? And how are you training these folks? There's 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 uh, economic reasons to use VAs, but there's also some unique hurdles. And so, how, how did how and why did you settle on VAs? And and is that are you happy with that decision going forward? I am yes, okay. and I, I appreciate what the the question that you asked too. There's certainly economic reasons. Um, I find that, and my and my uh, my VAs are overseas, and I, I find that in some cases they're more motivated than people who live in our country, mm. uh, and they're they're getting paid less. Now, I'm not saying anything negative about our, our our country. I'm just saying that that's been my experience, and I've gone through several of them. You know, you have mm-hmm. to. You have to train. You you you, you have to. I've, I've had probably six or seven different ones. Yeah, and you just have to continue to train and provide them with the resources for them to be successful. I think a lot of investors, when they start off, they use the VA as a way for them not to be on the phone. Got it. And hey, the VA's yeah. got to do all the work. They got to get all the leads. No, that, that's not their job. The, v, the VA is there to collect information from the seller and then you go do your job, whether that's me or if I have an acquisition specialist uh, talking to the seller. So you're just really kind of screening like, hey, are you open to this idea of seller financing? Yeah. That's their job. Yeah. That's awesome. That's so cool. Um, yeah. I, you know, I think in, in the, where we are right now with house prices the way they are, people are struggling to find deals. And so I'm starting to ask more about seller financing and creative financing and that kind of thing. And so I, I, I thought having you on was a, just a perfect opportunity and a really good timing for where we are in the market. Um, do you find that seller financing, and I know you've not been in this for decades, but do you do you find in your experience or do you anticipate that seller financing will work well in an 
declining market or a strong real estate market? Where are the weaknesses in the market for that strategy, if any? It's a great question. So I'll, I'll, I'll do my best to, to kind of, I'll go back, I'll go back in time a little bit. So during COVID, uh, when, when COVID was uh, announced March, I think it was March of 2020, most of the world froze, sellers included. Yeah. They panicked. They don't know what to do. We got a bunch of houses because I did not panic. We doubled down. We made more phone calls. And while the world was you know, on lockdown, we were still doing our thing. And people needed to move. They needed to do the thing. They needed to sell their house. Yep. So in times when there's fear, and there's a lot of that circling around right now, you know, uncertainty, mm-hmm. this is when you need to double down and be on the phone and talk to as many people as you can. Yep. Now, having said that, we went through this hot period in the market, right? So everyone you talk to, uh, the story takes on a life of its own. Well, I put my house on the market. It sold in two days for $50,000 over asking. All of a sudden, that's every house in North America yeah. or in the United States. I mean, nothing could be further from the truth. I talk to people every day who are in massive pain. They owe less than what their house is worth. They haven't paid their mortgage for two years because they lost their job because of COVID. There's still a lot of that going around. Yeah. Yep. But there's also still this big hangover, Mike, where people still think that it's you know summer of 2021, and it's not. Yeah, totally agree. I could not agree more. I love that answer. It's great. And I love because I the last thing I ever want to do is be an alarmist or someone who says, people ask me all the time, like, how's the market? What's it like for real estate investors? I say, great. It's great. If you know what, if you know where you are in the market and you understand how to speak to folks and in, in the situation that they're at in that in that time the market's the market doesn't have a good or bad feeling <laughs> like the market has no it's not evil or good it's just what it is right it's just is what it is and the way you react to it and the way you position your business has everything to do with your success in any market and so i'm glad you said that i sort of like threw that out there hoping you wouldn't say oh in this market never try it it works. You just have to change your approach and understand who you're talking to and who your sellers are. And and you mentioned it earlier, and I love it. You need to solve their problem first. You need to figure out what their pain point is and what their motivation is. And if you can effectively uh, articulate how you're going to solve that and they believe you because you've taken the time to create a, a relationship with them and the time that you have, they will sell you their house more than likely if you can solve that problem. A lot of times it's not what they're getting for the house. It's not the price of the house that is of paramount importance to them. It's whatever problem they're trying to solve. And if you can be that problem solver, you can win. But people who go in there immediately negotiating price and clearly want to get in and out and, and see if they can get their house for a, for a song, they don't do as well. And they don't know why. And people like you and me, and we, we solve problems, we create relationships, and that's how deals are done. So I love it, man. I love it. Yeah, that's great. I love what you said. And I couldn't agree. I couldn't agree more. We're at the end of the day, we are, we are problem solvers. We're solving real estate problems, not necessarily a financial or emotional problem. It's a, it's a real estate problem, right? And people need to move. They need to move on. And there's a lot of emotional attachment in a house Mm -hmm. more so than the financial piece. I mean, their kids grew up there. It could be their parents' house if it's an inherited property. And you just have to you have to let the seller go through that process and 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 not you know hey I'll buy this house for you know because you gotta you gotta reel it in sometimes right because you yeah. can get you can get a little excited you always have to focus on the pain point which is why I always look at listening like I'm talking too much during this conversation I gotta listen I gotta listen and once the seller 
reveals a pain point that I know I can solve, I just kind of keep pushing that button a little yeah. bit, you know, a little that. bit at a time. And it might take a couple of weeks or a couple of months or six months before they sell me the house. If you could go back in time to that guy who was in paralysis analysis and what advice could you give him that you feel like might make a difference in getting him going? What, what would you say to that person? Yeah, for, man, I love that. I love that question because I used to hear on a lot of shows, people get asked that question and it's so important um, because I, man, it was, it took me a long time to get here, Mike. And I would say, and it was really, I was so scared of failing my family. I was scared of succeeding. Like, this is something we don't talk about too. Like what happens if I'm successful and I have millions and millions of dollars? Like, what's that going to look like? Right. And I think that ultimately, it, for me, it got to the point where I had to believe that I was worthy of it. Like one of my favorite quotes is, I'm just as worthy and deserving of my ideal outcome as anyone else on this planet. Hmm. And that's the, yeah, that's like the that. truth. Like I, I'm, I'm no different than anyone else, right? It's just yeah. these folks are taking action. I was not. Yeah. So I think it's just... And, and then maybe the real piece of advice is once you get to that point in your life where, okay, look, I'm tired, don't try to chop the whole tree down in one day. Just stack up little wins every single day, whether that's reading a book or, or you know, taking a course or, yeah. you know, calling one seller, whatever it is, don't try to, you're not going to tackle it all at once. Yeah, I love that. I love that. I think it's a good place to stop. Uh, Brian, again, I, I can't thank you enough. Time is precious. You know that. I know that. It's the thing we don't get back once it's spent. So I appreciate you giving me some of yours. And uh, I appreciate the the insights on the, your strategy and your business model, because I think more people should be doing it. Honestly, a lot of people go into a negotiation with just one hammer and it's just like the, you know, the like low price, like buy it all cash kind of a hammer, which is fine. But I think there's other tools that should be in people's tool belt. And this is one of them. So thank you for your time. I appreciate it. Thanks, Mike. It was a great chat. We appreciate it. All right. We'll see you next time. All right, guys, there you go. Seller financing is a great way to buy properties, especially in a market like this. You heard him. Brian is going to expired listings and, and things like that where folks are just, there's an increased level of frustration about selling their house. And honestly, one of the best benefits I think is that they have come down to earth a little bit on what their house will actually command in the open market. And so they're ready for someone to come along with a solution. But seller financing, creative financing, so important and such a big part of what should be in your toolbox to help you help sellers sell their house, move on and help you grow your business. So definitely you should be paying attention to what Brian is telling you. Get out there, figure it out, get it done. Make this year the best year ever. We'll see you next time.